We're continuing our, our, our series that we started a few weeks back called This Is Not a Game. You know, it's, it's really easy to begin patting yourself on the back after you've had some success. You've had some accomplishments, maybe you've won some awards, you've kind of built and established a life for yourself, and you step back and you kind of look around and you're like, man, good job. In sports, this is often called the sophomore slump. Many times rookies will come in and in their rookie professional sports seasons, they, 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 um, they step in and they begin to contribute. They have some success. They, you know, they make plays, they score goals when, when they're out. When they're playing, they're not a liability, right? And they're, and they're actually contributing. And at the end of the year, they feel very good about themselves. And then they come in in their second year, which is the, they call the sophomore year. And in that sophomore year, they begin to stumble and their play drops off. See, professional athletes have to learn how to have short memories, not relying on what they have done in the past, the things that, that got them to where they are, and not being so concerned with what is currently happening in that moment. See, because really, you're only as good as your last at-bat. You're only as good as your last snap, your last play, your last shift, your last bucket. See, if a professional basketball player makes, it, makes an incredible throw, a bucket from half court, and then they never make another bucket their entire career, they're not very good. Last night, um, my, my, the, the, the hockey team that I follow and I grew up following is the Edmonton Oilers. And so they played last night and they played the Chicago Blackhawks and they were, it, it, was, a, it was a blowout. It was 7-3 to three was the score for my Oilers versus the lowly Blackhawks. Just before the game, so you, you have just, I want to make sure that we're all, we're all together and I don't lose any of you. You have, you have two goalies on a hockey team. One that plays and one that sits on the bench. The one that sits on the bench is there just in case the one who plays gets hurt. Well, there's this really weird kind of unique rule, and it's, it's, it's called the e-bug. And what e-bug stands for is emergency backup goaltender. And so our, our backup goaltender, it's funny, you don't, you don't often hear this, called in sick before the game. In the morning, he woke up and he was sick. So they reached out to their e-bug, their emergency backup goaltender, who just happens to be a university kid who plays for a local university uh, hockey team, and they said, hey, you're suiting up, and you're the backup goaltender for the Edmonton Oilers. He doesn't have a contract, so he signs, you know, a, a one-day contract, you know, valued at zero dollars, doesn't actually get paid to do this, to sit on the bench and hope that the goalie who's actually playing doesn't get hurt. Well, the game is a blowout, and the captain of my Oilers leans over to the coach at about six minutes left in the game and goes, hey, let's put him in. This guy who has dreamt his entire life to play in the National Hockey League is, is a university goaltender, and he's sitting on the bench of a professional hockey league team. Like, dreams are coming true for him already, just sitting on the bench with these world-class players, and the captain goes, let's, coach, let's put him in. And so the coach walks over to him and taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, the three-minute mark and the TV timeout, you're going in, warm up. And so he is, he like, I, I watched an interview, his heart is pounding. He goes down the tunnel and he starts to warm up. And they put him in for the last two minutes of the game. So he will go down, if he never plays another game, another moment, he never signs an NHL contract, his name will be in the NHL history books. Do you know how many saves he made? One. He faced one shot and he made one save. Do you know what his save percentage is? 100%. <laughs> right? 
You're only as good as your last save. So if, if he just retires and be like, man, I stopped every shot I ever faced in the NHL. That's it. That's a story to build on. See, if, if, you, if you get too caught up in what you have done, or you get too caught up in what's happening in the moment, you derail. See, because if I get so caught up in what's happening right now, if it was a good moment, then my, my confidence is overinflated. And I think I'm better than I actually am. Or if it was a terrible moment, then my confidence can be completely destroyed. We have to be able to, as athletes, have to be able to, to learn from moments and then move on and keep going. They can't afford to live in or stand on what has happened, good or bad. They've got to strive forward. They've got to move on. They've got to push ahead. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. And you'll find this funny. This is my Bible. I love my Bible. This is an amplified Bible. But in this passage... I'm going to read from this little piece of paper because I really like the way the Passion Translation has this. And so I'm not going to open my Bible, but I print it because I don't actually have a Passion Translation Bible. So we're going to, we're going to read from the Passion Translation. We'll work our way through this, this passage, starting at verse number seven. It says, yet all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for, this is Paul writing, he says, I have now forsaken them and I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's like a pile of manure to me now so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all of his greatness. My passion is to be consumed with him and not cling to my own righteousness based in keeping the written law. My only righteousness will be his, based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. See, there are these things that we often measure our lives by. There are these things that society would point to and say, look, that's what success looks like. And they, they put that up there for us to look at, and that's what we aim for, and that's, that's success. You know, we're talking you know, graduate high school, get a good education, have a career, have a family, get married, have children, right? Have, have some savings planned for your retirement, have some investments, have a house, you know, gain some status, gain some influence. You know, some of these things might be you come from a, from a good family with, with a good heritage, a good family line. This is basically your life's resume. Paul had an impressive resume, too. In the verses just before the passage that I read, Paul goes through his life's resume. And he says, I was circumcised at eight days old, which is a custom of the Old Testament law. He said, I am, a tri I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I followed the, letter to the, the, I followed the law to the letter. He said, I was a Pharisee, which meant that he actually gave his life Everything in him, all of his waking hours in religious service, in strict following the law as a way to achieve righteousness and eternal life. He said, there was not a law that I broke. I followed them all. And he says, all of those things I threw on the garbage heap. You see, achievements and accomplishments mean nothing when it comes to Jesus. We cannot and we do not earn salvation. It's impossible for us to work our way to God through following rules, through following regulations, and doing good works. See, all the good works in the world that you do do not erase the, the, the bad things that we do. It's not a scale that we're trying to balance out. 
There is one way to God, and that's through Jesus. You may have done impressive things. You may have a great resume, but the question comes, it comes down to this question, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? The cross of Jesus is the great equalizer. Because it doesn't matter who your family is. It doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter if you've lived a good life and a moral life. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. Everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. See, I have nothing to boast about in the face of Jesus. It's only by his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness that I can know him. Do you know him? To really take hold of Jesus means that that we let go of everything else from our past. Anything that we could possibly boast in or have pride in or look to, it no longer matters. Paul calls it poop. He calls it crap, dung, manure. It's actual garbage. In in the original language, that that word, what it refers to is animal waste. He says, "That's that's, that's all my past, all the accomplishments, all the things that I've done. It's waste. It's nothingness. It's garbage. It's trash. There is nothing greater than the reality of knowing Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his greatness, in all of his splendor, and in all of his majesty. There is nothing greater than that. And I know that we can look around at life and at society and at culture and all the incredible things that we can see and do, but there is nothing that you can dream of that compares to knowing Jesus. Nothing. Doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is do you know Jesus? See, knowing Jesus is the ultimate privilege of our life. <laughs> Jesus is not blessed because we get to know him. Right? It's our privilege to get to know Jesus. Right? It's like it's not like Jesus, I showed up for you today. <laughs> no, right? Like we are privileged to simply know him. There is nothing better, greater, or more satisfying than knowing him. I mean, when you you behold him, when you lock eyes with him, when you embrace him, nothing else matters. Knowing Jesus is what's before us. It's in front of us. Everything else is behind us. I want to tell you this morning, keep going forward. Now, I know this is going to be cheesy. This is a a cheesy example and illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway because, you know, I I do dad jokes and they're cheesy and sometimes I get a pity laugh and most of the time when I tell you my dad jokes, I just get moans. So we'll use this. You sitting in your car, you do not drive forward by looking in the rearview mirror. The rearview mirror does not tell you where you're going. The rearview mirror tells you where you've been. And you notice that the rearview mirror is this big, but the windshield is this big, right? They use them proportionately. This is where we've been, but this is where we're going. You cannot drive forward in Jesus by looking behind you at your accomplishments, the things that you've done. Paul says, my passion, my passion in verse 9 is to be consumed with him. <laughs> I, have, I have my whole message written before I went away and I, I came back and Thursday afternoon I was going over it and I was working on this, my, my PowerPoint and, 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 and I was reading through the passage and I, 
somehow missed this one sentence in the whole thing. I read it and I just stopped. My passion is to be consumed with Him. Paul's desire, his hunger, his thirst, and his cravings are Jesus. That's it. It wasn't winning the lost. It wasn't planting churches. It wasn't traveling the world. It wasn't healing the sick. It wasn't casting out demons. His passion was to be consumed with Jesus. What's your passion? What are you passionate for? What, 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 what's, what's your hunger? Where, what are you hungry for in your life? What are you desiring? Is it Jesus? Do we have to honestly assess our lives and say, what am I actually hungry for? What, what, what is my life actually pointing at? What is my priority? Because we all have a list of priorities. And what's at the top? Is it your wife? Is it your spouse? That's, that's not the right priority. Is it your children? That's not the right priority. What are you hungry for? What are you passionate about? If we honestly assess our lives, I mean, because you can fool me all day long and tell me, man, this is my passion, my passion, I'm passionate about Jesus, it's all I want. But you're not fooling Jesus. So you need to honestly assess your life and say, what am I passionate for? And if you can't, and, and, and as you wrestle with that and you answer it to yourself, if you're not coming up with Jesus, then you need to reassess your priorities. Paul said, my passion is to be consumed with Jesus. It says in the Old Testament that our God is an all-consuming fire. He wants to consume us. Listen, the Lord's not looking to come and touch you with fire and burn you. He's not looking to come and touch you with fire and scorch you and mark you and maybe make, make it smell like you've been in the smoke and that singed hair smell. That's not what he's looking to do. He is an all-consuming fire. Right? You don't like, I've, I know I've mentioned this before and you might get tired of hearing of it, but, but we need to hear it over and over and over. Jesus is not an add-on to my life. Jesus is life. He's not like your triple a card or your costco membership something that you have and you stick in your wallet and say i belong jesus is your life see he is an all-consuming fire and his desire is to consume us and in this one sentence paul says my passion is to be consumed with jesus paul is is reciprocating that Right, the Lord is saying, I want to consume you. And Paul is saying, I want to be consumed by you. See, the cry of our heart must be, Jesus, consume me. I want to be obsessed with Jesus. Not dabbing a little here or dabbing a little there. Not seeking a little here, not seeking a little there. I want to be consumed and obsessed with Jesus. To know who he is. To look in his eyes. I want to touch his heart. The goal of following Jesus is knowing Jesus. It's not doing stuff. But when you know Jesus, you do stuff. Right? So it's not like we, we do a bunch of things so that we can get to know Jesus. It's no, we know Jesus. We've been consumed by him, and so we do, there's things that we do. There's good works that we do because we've been consumed by him. Mm -hmm. 
Paul goes on in the, the, the second part of verse 9, and he, he writes, he says that our, our righteousness, our right standing with God isn't found in keeping rules and good works, but it's found in knowing Jesus and being found in Jesus, being consumed by him. See, here's the thing. When you're consumed with Jesus, when you know him and you love him and you have given him your everything, it shows up in what you do. I mean, you can say you are a follower of Jesus all day long, but if it doesn't show up in what you do and how you live your life, you're not fooling anybody. You can, you can come to church, you can be a member, you can be here anytime the doors are open, and it doesn't mean anything. Do you know him? I can stand in my garage, but it doesn't make me a car. When Jesus has consumed your life and you have given him your everything, it shows up in your life. It looks like something. See, giving your life to Jesus involves all of your being, all of your thoughts, all of your words, your actions, the fiber of who you are, your motives. It's not intellectual assent. It's not simply acknowledging Jesus. I acknowledge you, Jesus. I believe in you. I believe who you are. It's his way. It's his life. It's his standards are now your way, your life, your standards. His priorities are now your priorities. This is the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus. This is being consumed by Jesus and everything else compared to this one thing is trash. Doing doesn't equal knowing Jesus, but knowing Jesus equals doing. Now listen, you might be sitting there thinking like, Craig, I wasn't ready for this. I was looking for a good message. I was looking for a feel-good message this morning. Uh, I am not there. I, I'm not with you. That's okay. Keep going. Seek him. Spend time with him. Worship him. Lean in. Pray. And then pray. And then pray. And then pray some more. See, there is more for you to discover in knowing Jesus than whatever it is that you know. You may, you, listen, you, you could live in a prayer room 24 hours a day and this hour and a half that we spend together is the only time that you come out of that prayer room from his presence and I can confidently look you in the face and say there's more. You haven't experienced it all. You haven't seen it all. You don't know it all. There's more. There's more. There's more to, to discover in knowing Jesus. And I believe that the more that you know him, the more that you surrender to him. And the more you surrender to him, the more that you are consumed by him. There's more. Paul says in verse 10, he says, I want to continue, I, I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. Paul had his, this longing to know Jesus more and more and more, to know his wonders to know his power, to know his sufferings. See, I want to know every part. I want to know all aspects of Jesus. I don't want to miss a thing. Listen, don't just aim at what you're comfortable with. Jesus is like, <laughs> life with Jesus is not comfortable. Life with Jesus is very much uncomfortable because he's not concerned with your comfort. He's concerned with, with consuming your life, that you would be consumed by him. Don't just aim at the parts of Jesus that you agree with. 
Lean into the parts that you don't agree with. Lean into the parts that you find hard. Lean into, like, you know what? If you find love your enemies hard, then lean into that. There's something there that Jesus is saying, like, you need to work on this. You need to let me into this area in your life. Don't just aim at what you feel good about. Really get to know him. See, this longing to know Jesus, his wonders, his power, his suffering, it's not head knowledge. Because that word know, I, want to, I long to, to know that Paul uses here, in the Greek is, is the word gnosko. And it means to know by experience. It's not theory or concept, but it means the experiential encounter. See, in Paul's day, gnosko was an idiom. No. What's an idiom? An idiom is a word or a phrase that means something other than the obvious, right? So it takes two to tango. That's an idiom. Of course it takes two to tango. You cannot tango alone. But that's not really what it means, is it? When you use the phrase, it takes two to tango, it means it takes two people to have a fight and it takes two people to have an argument. That's the meaning of the saying. So when, when, when Paul uses that word gnosko, it, also, it, it, it means to know, but it was also an idiom for sex between a husband and a wife. Tom knows. Gnosko, Sally, and she got pregnant. It does not mean that he knows her address and her telephone number and her last name. It's more than that. That's not how somebody gets pregnant. That's another message. We can have that conversation. See, the invitation is to know Jesus on an intimate level. To really know him. Not just know him. But to know him. To know by experience his love, to know by experience his presence, to know by experience his friendship, to know by experience the all-consuming fire that's in his eyes. You know, one of the prophets, uh, he sees Jesus and he sees him as a man of fire. The wonders of Jesus that Paul writes about are the things that obviously they, they make you wonder. You see them and you're like, huh. It's what you don't understand, but you know somehow inside that points to him. Jesus, I, I don't understand what just happened, but I know you're here. And I'm wondering because I don't get it. It's miraculous signs and it's healings and it's miracles. His wonders are his love, his mercy, and his grace for those that don't deserve it. Which, side note, is all of us. We don't deserve it and we're not worthy. It's the creative miracles where there was nothing and then suddenly there's something. It's, 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 the, it's the literal raising of the dead. I mean, you can't see the raising of the dead and not wonder. It's just, there's no way to understand that. You can't wrap your head around that. So there's the wonder of not understanding what he's doing, but just trusting him anyway. I don't want to understand everything that God does. Because if I understand everything that God does, then I've just reduced God down to my level. See, knowing Jesus is about giving up your right to understand everything. I want to know by experience what's impossible to understand with my mind. That's his wonders. I want to know Jesus. 
He, he talked, Paul talks about knowing the, the power of the resurrection, which is the continuous refining of our lives. See, resurrection power is what makes us more like him. It's the power to overcome temptation and sin and, 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 the, and the world. Resurrection power at work in me says I don't have to sin because he set me, set me free from sin. Resurrection power is fully experiencing the freedom that Jesus purchased for us, not only through his death, but through his life, his resurrection, over his victory over death. It's freedom from sickness and mental illness and disease and injury and infirmity. It's freedom, from, it's freedom from addiction. It's that power that breaks addiction. It's the power that sets people free from the grip of, demon, of demons in their lives. That's resurrection power. It's the life of Christ flowing in me and through me. See, resurrection power is knowing the miraculous workings of Jesus in all of his glory. We are called to live in resurrection power, not only in us, but flowing through us. I want to know that. He wants us to experience his power and then share it with the world around us. I want to know what it means to suffer with and for him. Because Jesus suffered when he walked the earth. He experienced trials and persecution, family disagreements. There were times when his brothers didn't believe in him or understand him. He experienced the death of loved ones. He experienced what loneliness meant, was, was like. He experienced mis being misunderstood. Jesus was hated. And we are not immune to the same treatment. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted. He said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. I want to know Jesus. I want to know all of him. Every part. Every, every way. This is the path to oneness. To being consumed by him. Don't know Jesus like that yet? Me either. So we keep going. It's encouraging to know that Paul didn't feel like he, he had yet come to that that place of knowing Jesus, the way that he was describing. Paul was writing this, this out, and he says, I, I'm, I'm not there yet. He says, I, ad I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so that I may, may reach the purpose for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me to make me his, his own. I'm not there yet, he said, but I, so I, I keep going. I'm running forward so that I can fulfill the purpose and the reason that Jesus took hold of my life. What is that purpose that Jesus took, took hold of, 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 of my life? It's got two parts. The first one is to know Jesus. I know I sound like a broken record. But that's what it's about. It's to really know him. And then the, the, second, the second part is to fulfill my destiny, my individual destiny. Because he created me to do something, to accomplish something. Right? Paul writes in Ephesians that, that, that he's laid out good works in advance for us to do. That's my destiny. My good works are not the same as your good works. You can't complete my good works. Jesus took hold of my life so that I could know him. It's this all-consuming love relationship with the King of Kings. This is the first purpose, an ultimate priority of a life of a follower of Jesus. To know him with every fiber of my being. And then it's to fulfill the destiny that I was created. And that's my responsibility. And it's your responsibility to discover what that is. Why did Jesus create you beyond to have a relationship with you? What is your destiny? In 
verse 13, Paul says, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future. And I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. See, we, like Paul, have not been fully consumed by the all-consuming fire that is Jesus. And we have yet to grab hold of why he grabbed hold of us. So we keep going. And there's one thing that Paul says that he does to make sure he keeps going. He says, I forget what's behind me. And I reach forward. He links this back to the very first thing that he talked about. Having a short memory. We've got to forget the trips up, the, the trips, the, the downfalls. When you, you, when you fail and you fall on the ground, we've got to forget the, the successes, the victories and the miracles and the accomplishments and reach forward. Even the things that we have done partnering with Jesus, we must forget them because they are in the past. We celebrate them, we turn them into worship, and then we keep going. There are two terrifying phrases in hockey that I want to share with you and I want to explain to you. One, keep your head up. And two, admiring your pass. When a player admires their pass, they make this great play and they, they pass. And then what they do, if they're skating this way, they're watching the pass go that way. It's very dangerous to not watch where you're going. That's admiring the pass. Look at how pretty that was. And then there's this keep your head up. I, 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 I mean, I play hockey. I'm not a very good hockey player. Um, and it amazes me how hockey players can stick handle and never watch the puck. But there's these times when, they, when the action is happening. It's, it's all happening so fast that they look down and they're watching the puck and they're stick handling like this, but they're not watching where they're going. You've got to keep your head up. I want to show you what this actually looks like. Go to the next slide and start that video. Keep your head up, son. Bad things happen when you look down and you are not watching where you're going. This is a painful sport to play, but you can see the player is looking down and watching where the puck is going, and he's not looking at the oncoming player that just blew up his life. That's admiring the pass right there. Look at how pretty that was, off the boards and out. You can see his head is not, boom! Bad things happen when you take the time to admire the pass and you don't keep your head up. The enemy will take advantage of your life if you are admiring all the great things that you have done and you are not watching where you are going. If you are so focused and consumed on what's happening in your day-to-day -day life, that your head is not up and you are not reaching forward, you are not keeping going, you are not pursuing on to Jesus, then he will cause you to trip, to fall, to tempt you, and he will blow up your life if you are not paying attention. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Keep your head up. The same is true for us as a church. We have an incredible history. We have 87 years of incredible history of lives touched and changed and transformed by the power of Jesus, of salvations, of healings, of miracles, of signs and of wonders and of things that you cannot explain but you must experience. 
87 years of history of the church, but we are not building a monument around the things that God has done. We build a monument, we praise Jesus for it, and then we keep going. We are not sitting back. We are not kind of resting on our laurels, so to speak, on all the things that God has done. What about the things that God is doing and the things that God has for us to do? We keep going. Never take your eyes off of Jesus. Never take your eyes off of Jesus. Never take your eyes off of Jesus. He is the prize. See, that's what's ahead. It's Jesus. That's what we're living for. Jesus now and Jesus for eternity. This is not a game. We are not just coming together to, and, and, to, and to build relationships and to make some memories and to have some fun. We want to do all of those things. This is not a game. Keep your eyes on Jesus. To be consumed by Him. We need to live reaching forward towards knowing Jesus in greater ways. Keep going. I want you to stand this morning. As we were coming out of the prayer room this morning, I had this, I had this, this phrase, and I shared, it with, I shared it with Fred as we stopped to talk for a moment. And this was, this was the, the phrase, or, or the picture almost, that I felt like what I felt like God wanted to do in our midst today. Felt like we're, we're to wrap our arms around the all-consuming fire of God and to hug the fire. To be consumed by Him and to lean in. If you want to be consumed by Jesus this morning, if you're like, man, I'm not there. I'm, <laughs> I feel something inside of me that says, man, I, I want that, but I'm not there. Just the honest assessment of my life, I'm not there. But you want to be there. This is, this is all I want you to do is just this kind of prophetic, symbolic act. I just want you to wrap your arms around yourself. Jesus, we stand here. Kind of prophetically hugging the all-consuming fire of God. We're wrapping our arms around you and we're not letting go. For you are the man of fire. And as we wrap our arms around the man of fire, I pray, Jesus, that you would wrap your burning arms around us. And that we would be fully consumed by you that there would be a hunger for you that is unequal, that we have never experienced and encountered in, in, in our entire lives, that our thoughts would be consumed by you, that our, that our waking moments would be consumed by you, that our dreams would be consumed by you, that the words coming out of our mouth as we're going about our jobs would, 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 would be words consumed by you. Father, that, 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 our, that our heavenly prayer language would flow out of us, God, as we go about our day, as we shop for groceries, as we drive down the freeway, that our spirits will be praying and crying out to you. 
We wrap our arms around you, all-consuming fire, and I ask that you would wrap your arms around us and you would consume us. Not just burn us, not just touch us with your fire, but we would be consumed by you. Today something new happened. We stepped into something new. You may not have felt it or understood it, or maybe even perceived it. Maybe you felt like, well, this is just kind of like another average Sunday. This is kind of what we do. It's not. There's three prophetic words about the new thing that God was doing. And the Bible is very clear that something is established on, on the testimony of two or three witnesses. We just stepped into the new thing that God is doing. And we may not be able to perceive it, but we're walking it out. Get ready. Get re- I, 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 don't, I don't know how to comprehend or, 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 to, or to explain or to express. I just get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. We close with that.